Well, we have been following uh, Moses' life in the book of Exodus. And in Exodus, we have gotten to this pivotal moment. I see Moses uh, in chapter 3 has stood before the Lord, and the Lord has promised him, I'm going to do something through you to rescue my people. In chapter 3, verse 10, Moses looks at the Lord and says, how do I know you're going to do this? And the Lord looks right at Moses and he says, you will know that I'm going to do this when I've done it. That's the promise. You'll know I am going to do it when I have done it. That's his promise. And and he stands before the Lord again. He says, but I I don't even know who you are, Lord, fully. And and who am I going to tell the Egyptians is sending me? And, And the Lord looks right at him and he says, tell them I am is sending you. The eternal God, the one who has been, the one who is, and the one who will be forever, who has always existed, the one who has every resource because he made everything, is sending you. And the Lord stands before, or or Moses stands before the Lord, and he says, but I have some excuses. Uh, You know, they won't believe me, and and I'm not eloquent, and, and actually, I just don't want to go. And the Lord uh, meets every one of his excuses. See, see, Moses is at this pivotal moment when he will go from the promise of God, where God says, I will do this, to now seeing the Lord do this in a mighty way. He stands before the Lord who says, this is who I am, and says that, but now the Lord will show who he is. He stands before the Lord full of excuses, and now the Lord will give him every reason for confidence in every aspect of his life to keep saying yes to that God. It is a pivotal moment in Moses' life and it hinges on his saying yes. It's what we said the whole life of a disciple of Christ is saying yes to God over and over again from beginning to end. And Moses will now see the impossible God do impossible things. When we say yes to God, we will see the impossible. But, but if we do not say yes, we will not see the impossible. You will not see that relationship in your life reconciled if you do not say yes to that first step of moving towards that person and reconciliation. You will not see your neighbor get to come to know and worship the Lord God Almighty and find salvation and purpose and peace in Him if you don't move towards them and deepen relationship and share the gospel. Now, God may give that joy to someone else in His sovereign planning and timing, but, but you won't get to see it. We won't see the impossible until we say yes to our God. We're at this pivotal moment as God's individual people here in Silver Spring, but also his collective people as the well, where where he is calling us to this space where we would say yes to him with amazing generosity that that we might be able to say yes to his impossible provision of our permanent space here in Silver Spring to sink roots for generations of life change. This morning we're going to look at Pharaoh's question, when Moses steps before Pharaoh and, and says, let my people go, and, and the Pharaoh responds to the question, it's a question which will capture uh, the question that each one of us is asking as we consider, should we say yes or not? 
And then we will see how Moses' simple yes to obedience to the Lord just, man, it blows the doors. It, it knocks the hinges off of an impossible work of God where, where Moses will stand back and his mouth will drop. Let's get into the text. We're in Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. To Pharaoh's question, which captures the very question that each of us are asking when we consider, should I say yes to the Lord? Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And do you hear the question? It's the very one we are asking. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? <laughs> Who is this Lord that I will do what he says? I don't even know him, and therefore I'm not going to do what he says. Who is the Lord that I should obey him in my sexuality? Who is the Lord that I would obey him in my finances? Who is the Lord that I would obey him in my relationships or the way that I work as an employee or the way that I manage as a boss? Who is the Lord that I would align my life and my will to his? I don't even know him. Say, so here's what Pharaoh is saying He's not the king. Pharaoh rules over uh, the most majestic and massive empire up to this time. He says, I, has, I have built this thing. I am able to do what I want when I want to do it. If I see something that I want, it is mine. I am able. I am king. I do what I want when I want. I, I say it and it is done. I'm the king. And who is this Lord anyway? He can't give me what I don't have. I, I, if I want something, I, I can get what I want by my own power. He, he can't give me anything that I can't get. This is us, is it not? I've got this, Lord. I can do what it takes in this situation to get what needs to get done. I have got this. Or, or we say, you know, I've, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. And, and the reality is if it can't get done then uh, by my effort, then it can't get done. So who are you to step in? And don't we say, if I've got some void in my life and some need or desire, well, I'll just fill it with this or that. I don't need anything you can give me. See, I am king and I am provider. Who are you to tell me what to do? And so what we've done in our Christianity, it's why our Christianity is so boring. We only say yes to the things we want to say yes to or the things that we think we can do on our own. We, we have taken our almighty God and we have slipped him in our back pocket and we've continued with our five-year plan the way we want to live it. And when he calls us to risk in that faith or to walk faithfully in this area of our life, we say, who are you to step in here and tell me what to do? I'm fine. I got you in my back pocket. And I'm doing okay with my five-year plan, executing what I want to execute, when I want to execute it, and getting everything I need. If I need security, I'll get my white picket fence. If I, if I need more satisfaction, I'll buy this car or that. I've got it covered. 
Pharaoh's question is the very question we all ask and answer with self-sufficiency and our own ability. Who are you that I should obey your voice? I don't even know you. It's one of the very reasons we don't even know him. <laughs> it's one of the very reasons we don't even know him. And on the backside of this wobbly yes that Moses is now going to give, he will see the Lord reveal himself and do the impossible. Look at Moses' wobbly yes with me, chapter 5, verse 1, right? Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they would hold a feast to me in the wilderness. He kind of takes the Lord's request, and he brings it down, and I just let us go have a feast out there. We'll just be out there a few days and worship a little bit. Let us go so that we can do this, Pharaoh and Egypt. And, and Pharaoh looks right back at him and says, Get back to your burdens, the Pharaoh says, I am the able one. I am the king. I will tell you and your uh, silly little Lord what to do. Get back to your burdens. And then he actually increases their burden of making these bricks. Maybe uh, it's the, the bricks that they're stacking together to make the pyramids. And, and, and he removes the straw uh, from them. And, and he doesn't lower the quota at all. He just says to the Israelites, you have to keep making the same amount of bricks with less straw, less provision. And, and the people turn to Moses. In verse 20 of chapter 5, when he starts this wobbly kind of test case, yes, before the Pharaoh. And they met Moses and Aaron in verse 20 of chapter 5, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to Moses and Aaron, the Lord look on you and judge you because you've made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. And have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Of the people look at Moses and say, you think you can just stand before the Pharaoh and say, look what he's done to us. Now we have to make more bricks with less provision. We, we stink before the Pharaoh. And then look, Moses turns to the Lord and he says, Moses turned to the Lord in verse 22 and said, oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. This yes thing is not working. But the Lord reminds him in the passage that Matt just read for us out of Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. The Lord reminds Moses and Aaron of who he is, about what he has promised, about how he will show his sufficiency, his might, his impossibility in all of Aaron's and Moses' weakness and what he will do if they would just say yes and step back in front of the Pharaoh one more time. And in verse 10 of chapter 6, the Lord said to Moses in verse 10 of chapter 6, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of the land. That's what I asked you to ask him. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. I'm a sinful man. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. He gave them a charge. He gave every party involved a charge. <laughs> you, you, you probably don't want to sit under the charge of the Lord if you're not going to say yes. He says, Aaron and Moses, do what I say. I'm going to show Pharaoh he's got to do what I say. I'm going to show these grumbling Israelites they got to do what I say. I'm going to show the Egyptians do what I say. 
I am king, you are not. Starts as a wobbly yes, but Moses and Aaron go back before the Pharaoh in chapter 7 of Exodus. And the request is made again. But listen to this phrase as they're entering the room of the Pharaoh in chapter 7, verse 6 of Exodus. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. This is that pivot moment in Moses' life. See, for 40 years he's lived in the Pharaoh's uh, riches and, the, and, and he has had it all. He, and, and like we read from Dale Moody's quote, he, he spent his first 40 years thinking, man, I'm, I'm a somebody. I've got it all. But then he spends his second 40 years out in the desert because he's killed an Egyptian and he realizes, man, I'm a nobody. <laughs> Who is God to work in me or through me in impossible, majestic ways? And now he stands before the Lord in this pivot moment about to enter this last 40 years of his life as an 80-year-old, and, and he says yes to the Lord, and then this opens the doors to this moment, these next 40 years, where, where he will see how the God does the impossible things through a nobody. And the hinges are blown off, and God does the impossible when Moses says yes, when we say yes, when we, his people, the well, say yes to him. Here's the first plague. The first plague is the plague of the Nile. Uh, Moses and Aaron come before the Pharaoh in verse 8 of chapter 7. And the Lord reminds him, remember what you're going to do with this staff. You're going to prove to the Pharaoh that you are sent from me, God, the great I am. And so he throws the staff on the ground and it turns into a snake. And, and just as God said it would, and he, he picks up his staff by the end, the snake, and it turns back into a staff. And, and at that moment, verse 11 of chapter 7, then the Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers. And they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same thing by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. I love this detail. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord has said. See, here, here's what occurs. Uh, uh, Aaron and Moses throw down their staffs. They turn into serpents. They pick them up, and, and Aaron's staff eats all the other staffs. Uh, but it's as though Mo, uh, Pharaoh is saying, anything you can do, I can do better, right? Your God might be able to do this, but I can do it too. I got magicians. They can get it done. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out into the water and stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. And take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. He's going to save us that we can serve him. But so far you have not obeyed, Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that's in the Nile and it shall turn to blood. 
That's what just Moses and Aaron do. They, they strike the water and they hold their staff up as well. And the, the, all of the Nile turns into blood. See, uh, this is devastating for the Pharaoh and the Egyptians because life is built on the Nile and the Nile River Basin. The Nile is the, the largest river in the world, 4,000 miles long, empties into the Mediterranean Sea. 680,000 gallons of water empty into the Mediterranean Sea every second from the Nile. Uh, there's, uh, the, the Nile is so critical in the life of Egypt that there is a god, uh, Happy, a goddess, who is uh, the goddess of the good life, right? Like, because the, the Nile captures this for the Egyptians, right? The good life, all these wealth and riches and the vibrancy of Egypt uh, flows along the Nile. Uh, we can get what we want. We can build our empire. Why? Because Happy is blessing us. I, I love that that's her name, the good life. And they worship her. And the Lord comes and turns the Nile into blood. Not just the Nile, but every basin full of water and every bit of water in all of Egypt is turned to blood. But, but Pharaoh summons his magicians and they do a similar thing. And, and they turn water into blood. But notice what they don't do. They can't turn the Nile back to water. They don't have the ability. Actually, what they end up doing, all of them, they... Egyptians, verse 24 of chapter 7, the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they couldn't drink the water of the Nile, and seven full days passed as the Lord had struck the Nile. See, all the while they are proclaiming, I can do what I want to do, and I can get from happy in the Nile what you say you can give me, Lord, but all the while they are digging mud puddles and sipping bloody water out of these puddles as the Nile River of God's grace majestically and massively flows past them, now full of blood. Plague number two. The plague of the frogs. Chapter 8 of Exodus, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. I'm going to save them that they'll serve me and worship me and keep saying yes to me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile will swarm with frogs that come up and into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into your houses of your servants and, and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. Frogs will come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. You're going to have frogs in your pants. It's going to be frogs everywhere. The Egyptians have a god uh, who has a frog face. This is the god Heket. And, and, and Heket is this uh, god of fertility uh, that uh, you will have uh, children after children. And the labors of your hands will uh, produce uh, fertile returns. And, and in a sense, you'll have legacy. What you desire, your name will go past you and further and further in a generation after generation. And God says, uh, your God, your frog-faced God can't give you these things. Here, take all these frogs. So much so that the Pharaoh pleads with Moses in verse 8. With the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people and I will let 
Your people go to sacrifice to the Lord. See what he says? The suffering comes on him. And he says, would you go before the Lord and ask him to relent, Moses? And then I'll serve him. Then I'll say yes to him. Then I'll do what he says. And Moses says, yeah, I'll go before the Lord. He goes before him. And a day later, every one of the frogs is gone. Verse 15 of chapter 8. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Doesn't this happen in our lives all the time? This moment of suffering comes up and we, we say, I'll say yes to anything you call me into, Lord. And just like the Pharaoh, we, we plead for his relenting grace. And, and then uh, suffering begins to subside and we go right back to, I can do it. I can get it on my own. I will bargain with the Lord. I will uh, scheme my way past Moses and I'll get what I want. The Pharaoh does this multiple times. Which plagues would you have done this kind of relenting thing? He does it with frogs and flies and darkness and hail and locusts. Those are the ones that kind of get to him in a way where, where he does this scheming thing before the Lord and says, please relent, and the Lord relents, and then he says, I'm going to keep living life the way I want to keep living my life. In sum, for the plagues, this is what we see. God is Lord Almighty, and you are not. God is the Lord Almighty, and you and I are not. He is able to do what we cannot do. He, he does the miraculous. He, he pours out mercy and might as he pleases. This, this phrase happens in every one of the plagues. Verse 17 of chapter 7, this little phrase happens in every one of the plagues. By this you shall know that I am the Lord. When I do this, this impossible thing, on the back end of Moses's yes, you will see that I am the Lord. In chapter 9, verse 15, he says it this way, in the midst of the plague of hail. For by now, the Lord says, I could have put you out of my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. These plagues, the impossible, uh, occurs either uh, in Pharaoh's disobedience and hardening his heart against the Lord or in Moses' obedience and this pivot of yes in his life towards obedience. These plagues occur that each one of us would stand before the Lord and say, you are Lord, I am not. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? He is the Lord, I am not. The magicians are a great kind of typecase for this, right? Like at first, they're mimicking the things that the Lord does. They say, ah, oh, we can do this. We can take care of this ourselves. And then they try a couple and they kind of fall flat. And, and then it gets to the boils. And the magicians are covered in boils. They're like, they throw their stats. They're like, forget it. We can't. We can't do it. We, we're covered in boils. We can't even stand before Moses or the Lord any longer. We don't have what it takes. Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's own people come before him in chapter 10 and they say, Pharaoh's servants answer in chapter 10, verse 7, they say to him, how long will this man Moses be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? We're ruined. 
You and your, your self-sufficiency and trying to be able on your own have ruined us. Isn't this what we do with our lives? When we say, I will take the helm, I will keep the helm, I am able, I will do what I want. Someone, God is the Lord Almighty, you and I are not. Summary two, God is life and idols are not. God is life and idols are not. See, the Egyptians believed their life source was the Nile. And, and, and God says, I'll take your Nile, I'll take your God happy, and I will turn it into blood. The Nile and happy, this idol, is not your source of life. And, and the Egyptians say, uh, we'll be a fertile people. We will have uh, many children and, and we will have a great legacy. And we'll keep building our people up and having this, uh, an amazing legacy. And, and Heket, our, our idol god who's shaped like a frog, uh, uh, he will be with us and give us this. And the Lord says, have your frogs in your pants. I am the Lord your God who gives life, not idols. The people say, I'll accrue wealth and livestock and oxen. And, and the Lord says, oh, are you going to serve your oxen and your, your God Apis? No, I'll, I'll kill all your livestock. You won't find life there. In your arts, in your education, in your hieroglyphics, uh, you'll bury yourselves in giant pyramids where you will die. And your stuff will rust and gather dust. God is life. Your idols are not. Let me do this for us with money. Here's what we say. I am able and I can get what I want. I am both able and I can get what I want. We, you're either a saver or a spender, right? A saver says, if I can you know, just get enough in my savings, I'll be secure. I'll be secure. And a spender, maybe you're a spender over here and you say, if I can just get this or that and spend on this or that, I'll be satisfied. And the Lord says, you will never save enough to be secure and you will never spend enough to be satisfied with this or that. He says, but you say yes to me, the Lord says, and you give generously. Uh, you know, a, a saver will never be secure and a spender will never be satisfied. But when you give, you will be both. Why? Because you'll look at the Lord and you'll say, you are the provider of all things. Everything I give is of yours anyway. You are my security. And you are my satisfaction. And this shirt or that car will never do it. Only you will satisfy. Only our God is able. Only our God is life. You can do this in intimacy with relationships, right? The, the right spouse will do it. Then you marry that person you think is the right spouse, and they will be the wrong spouse because we are sinful, broken people. But when we say yes to giving our lives away for our spouse over and over again, we will find him sufficient. We will find him able to do miraculous things in our marriage. We will find him enough and satisfying even when our spouse is not. I love seeing people give up and surrender to the Lord. See, this first yes, this pivot moment, the Lord marks with baptism where we say, I, I am not able to live my life on my own. I cannot get what only you can give. I submit myself to you and I embrace your provision in your Savior. 
Jesus Christ. And then the rest of our life is just a yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, over and over again. after baptism after baptism. These are just some of the folks who've come to know and trust in Christ here at the well. And this is what saying yes is all about. This is when we come to the end of our rope and we say, I cannot do what only you can do, Lord. I cannot get what you can only give, Lord. I need you. I will serve you in every piece of my life. Saying yes is about the glory of our God who shows himself the all-sufficient Savior in Christ and in every good work he has called us to do from beginning to end, where we say in Christ, the one who has all the riches of heaven, 2 Corinthians 8 9, has come to earth to make us poor ones rich by his grace. You have done what I cannot do. You have given what I couldn't get. 
I say yes to you, Lord. And then the rest of our life is living out the good work he has prepared for us to do over and over again, saying yes, yes, yes. And we'll see him do the impossible in our lives and through us to transform our own lives, but also to bring eternity and salvation into the lives of others. See, you think that addiction has an unflinching hold in your life today. What if you stepped with a yes into the light and confessed your sin? You say, I, I can't do that, but, but what might God do to reshape your own life and work in the lives of others if he freed you from that addiction? That first step is confession. You see, you think your neighbor, how is he ever going to trust in Christ? Or this, this uh, fellow student at, at college, how, how will she ever come to know and trust in Christ? But, but it's when we start to say yes and step towards them with the gospel and build relationship that we see the almighty God do the impossible in us and through us. We see him save a child soldier out of Sudan and bring them here to hear the gospel, get baptized here at the well, and then be freed from alcoholism and proclaim the, the glories of his excellent God. And we say, praise God. His glory is revealed. He has shown himself one who could do what could not be done, one who could give what couldn't be earned or gotten. We see a special needs child and we just wonder, man, how is this little girl going to grow up and flourish? We see her proclaim Christ and we get to baptize her and then know that God is going to walk with her every day of her life as she keeps saying yes to him. That's our God. Well, we see a guy who's he's got it all, right? He's got it all. He's got the nice house, the white picket fence, and he knows he's empty. Till the Lord opens his eyes. We get to baptize him, then he baptizes his daughter, and they walk with Christ together in their family. Man, what a God we have. Saying yes is all about the very glory of our God together. So here's what we're asking every one of us to do from beginning to end, uh, and from the gospel to every good work, we're asking that we would mark our calendars for May 23rd. And not just to give money, not about generosity even, right? But, but about uh, looking in your life and saying, what is the Lord calling me to say yes to? Right? As a, as a husband or as a single or as an employee or as a boss uh, or as a neighbor, what is the Lord calling you to say yes to? Is there some sort of risk of faith he is calling you into to step into? Would you say yes to him in it that you might see him do the impossible? Or is there some new faithfulness in an aspect of your life where you're already this or that, but you're not walking faithfully in that area? Would you walk faithfully there and see him do the impossible? And then when it comes to generosity, man, would you do, this is just what I'm going to do, and me and Courtney have been praying through this. Would you, would you get under the biggest number you could give on May 23rd for the work of the gospel, for lives transformed and churches planted as we sink roots here in Silver Spring? You, you probably have a number in your mind, right? Like you've looked through the Say Yes stuff, you've got your trifold, or you've looked online, and you say, man, I'm probably like a $5,000 or $10,000 gift. And, and, and would you say, man, but what would the Lord give through me? What is impossible? That's what we're wrestling with, and we're saying, man, what if we gave 10000 up front, and then through the year, on top of what we already give, we scraped up and found another 10000 by his impossible purposes? That's terrifying. It's terrifying to give like that. You know, uh, but, but what might God do then if on the 23rd we gave just as, uh, each one of us, 100%, gave a massive upfront kickstart gift? 
And then through the year, we, we, we budgeted in generous and sacrificial ways to give over and above our offering. You know what we would get to do? We get to celebrate. We would get to celebrate the impossible. This is one of the properties we're looking at right now. Well, we're in communication, and, and, and if, if this is the property that God has for us, man, praise our God. It's right in the heart of Silver Spring. Can you imagine the names of people we get to dunk in the water there as they came to know their almighty uh, Savior? Imagine the teams we could send out. Can you imagine the way we could serve our city out of this space right here in the heart of Silver Spring? Just picture a sanctuary at the top holding 300 adults and, and then a big old cross where that G is right there proclaiming our Savior. And I think it'd be fun to have a rooftop kind of coffee bar up there too. <laughs> Lots of non-believers could come in and experience relationship and fellowship and friendship up on that roof. And we could do uh, service projects and, and classes up there. And we could see the Lord just pour out his blessing. What might the Lord do? Uh, we, last weekend, uh, last weekend we got these two separate gifts. Uh, somebody gave $30,000 to say yes last weekend. $30,000. And we're like, praise God. And then a homeless guy stood right there. And he gave 10 cents as well. 10 cents. And that was a huge amount of sacrifice and generosity for him in that moment to give to the work of God that God might do the impossible. That as I'm eating lunch uh, just this uh, past week on Wednesday and this homeless guy keeps walking back and forth, a different guy, uh, might we get to know his name and feed him and care for him and bring him into the family of the well if we could sink roots here for generations to come. And your friend, your neighbor, your co-worker, you're a fellow student. What if they came to know Christ here at the well? We got to dunk them in the water. We got to say yes with them the rest of their lives as they proclaimed their Savior for generations to come. What might our God do? The last plague was the most revealing. It was the Passover, the death of the firstborn son. And God said, I'm going to come and I'm going to take the firstborn son of everyone who does not have the blood of the lamb painted on their doorposts. And so every person of faith, every Israelite who stood before the Lord God Almighty, who trusted in him, they, they took a branch of hyssop and they dipped it in blood of this perfect lamb that they had slaughtered and eaten, and they painted their doorposts. And that night the Lord passed by anyone who had blood on their doorposts of the lamb. And then in John chapter 1, what we see is John the Baptist is baptizing people and he's, as they're saying yes to God, but, but in a new way, Jesus walks onto the scene and John the Baptist looks right at him and he says, there's the Lamb of God who's going to die and take away the sins of, all, of the world. This is the one who has come to do what we could not do, to give what we couldn't get or earn, and he is our salvation. He is the one who will do the impossible. We will follow him, yes, today and forevermore. And the son was slaughtered in our place, and his blood was spilled, and his body was broken. When God did the impossible... And made you and made me a son or a daughter by the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. That we would all in that moment stand before him and say, yes, Lord, I trust in who your son Jesus is and what he's done to, to pay for my sin. And yes, Lord, every step of my life, I'll just keep saying yes. 
compelled by your love, by your mercy, by your grace, because you did what I cannot do. You have given what I could not get. And I trust you. And I want to see you keep doing the impossible in my life and through me, by your mercy and grace, by your power, for your salvation. I don't know where God's calling you to say yes this morning, but I know you have a mighty Savior who has done everything you couldn't do and given everything you couldn't get. So would you just keep saying yes to Him by His grace?